what does it mean when we put the two words together design leadership are they in opposition to each other or are they actually do they work in harmony ultimately Mm. i think it's worthwhile understanding that whenever we put two things together a third thing emerges and it's up to us to explore different variations of that relationship so for Mm. me design has a specific meaning and leadership has a specific meaning and together they create if anything, a a greater opportunity beyond what I think we've currently understood. Hello and welcome to another episode of This Is ACD. I'm delighted to have you with me for another cracking episode. As many of you will probably know, my name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a service designer based in Ireland and I offer service design training, user experience design training and also my visualization methods for change makers course on my website and I offer this course in-house for businesses too. So if you're in an organization and looking for training, please do get in touch with me. I'm recording this segment from Spain where I'm on a long overdue vacation with my family so if the audio quality of the intro is a little bit questionable, that'll be why. Anyway, today in the show, I speak with Sarah Clearwater about design leadership, a white paper that she instigated, curated, and spoke to uh, with many people across various organizations, mainly in the APAC region. Sarah's based in New Zealand, and I'll drill deeper into the background of the paper, where it originated from, and what questions they ultimately sought to answer. Now, I really want to get more into the different perspectives of what we mean by design and leadership. And we speak about it so often, but really, what do we mean by this? I fully believe in what we are trying to achieve by discussing design and leadership. Now, the question is, is this ultimately or actually achievable in certain organizations? Sarah was a great guest. I think you'll enjoy the perspective. So let's jump straight in. So Sarah Clearwater, I'm delighted to have you on the podcast. Um, We've been back and forth for a couple of months and um, I'm excited to have you here. So maybe start off, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and where you're from. Sure. Thank you, Jerry. Great to be here today with you. Uh, I am originally from West Berlin. I'm born to East German and Egyptian parents, and I uh, sort of grew up towards the end of the Cold War into a very new type of Germany, I suppose. Um, wow. I, I always like to describe myself as an intersection child, because if you imagine West Berlin in the in the 80s, uh, I guess you can imagine the a great diversity of sort of sociocultural yeah. movements, different economic structures, different uh, politics, different ways of living and thinking and being. And so um, I'm always attracted to the spaces in between, which I put down to the to my upbringing, I suppose. Yeah, your, yeah. your background. So you're in New Zealand now, like we, we can't ignore the... Uh the uh, Kiwi accent and I'm going to do my very best not to do Flight of the Concords jokes in this episode but um, how long have you been in, in New Zealand? So I came to New Zealand twice first in 2011 and then again in 2016 um, I met a Kiwi while in living in the UK and as we all know London doesn't really have any English people in it it's mainly Aussies, Kiwis a bunch of Sappers and then the odd other European um yeah, yeah and of course i had to come across one of the kiwis and decide that you know he was the one i was going to follow so here we are so whereabouts in new zealand are you now so i'm living in auckland now okay you're in auckland great city i was there a couple of years ago 
um on our way out of australia we stopped in in auckland for a couple of weeks which was which was really great um but i notice over the last couple of years you've been working primarily as a cx consultant so your the name of your business is cx collective correct that's one of them yes that's one of them. Yeah. Okay. So talk me through, um, cause we're going to be discussing one of the reports that you created and you sent through about design leadership in a second, but I'm interested to see about your own personal journey on how you landed into the world of CX and you know, what your involvement is with human centered design as well. Sure. I would say that like, I think many of my peers or people who call themselves design designers today, uh, most of us have actually arrived here by chance rather than yeah. by design, um, yeah. ironically. And so I <laughs> first, <laughs> right. uh, I first trained uh, um, as a policy analyst, as a human systems analyst, effectively. I studied in the Netherlands, got a humanities degree, partly to explain, you know, to myself, I think, how a world this diverse could possibly coexist. Um, you know, I had this notion that if, if we can figure out how we can create um, sort of or co-create policy for, you know, 28 different countries with multiple mm. different languages and social systems and traditions and, and views of the world that, you know, anything is possible. So I went into this really uh, full of curiosity and, and full of sort of hunger to better understand how we can create unity out of diversity, how we can live next to each other, but still be who we are. And uh, I guess through that, I then moved to the UK, started working for the local government association there and got mm. really stuck into policy as a change mechanism, if you will. Okay. And it's probably the year that for the first time I really came across what we would now start to identify as co-design, sort of, um, you know, engaging with citizens, like having conversations with them, co-designing with other stakeholders across the policy spectrum across different mm. different local government agencies and then moving to New Zealand well there wasn't that much around uh, European level policy that was really relevant here and so yeah. most of my experience didn't have an anchor and through that I got into community engagement I got into um, qualitative research which then got me across to I guess what what we now call probably design research and through that into design. Okay. So you've, you've had a long and winding road um, to quote the Beatles to, to this point <laughs> where you're at now in your career. So what, what brought you to creating this um, report, the design leadership report? I think it's called perspectives on design and leadership. Is that right? That's the Is one, that Jerry. The Good memory. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm cheating. I have it on my screen here. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you 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 created. You can sort of see the the hint of the orange glow coming from this screen over here, where where all my notes are. But I do, yeah. uh, I did remember it anyway. But um, what what was the the kind of precursor to the creation of this report? Sure. So I think, and this is possibly a a sort of New Zealand centric view of looking at design, but yeah. something that I've observed over the last sort of five to six years being in the industry. It's we keep having the same conversations um, and bump up against the same challenges without much iterational evolution. A lot of yeah. designers are really focused on working in the practice, and I haven't come across many people who are interested or practicing design who actually work on our practice. And as a result, 
I have a sense that we are not really evolving or maturing with great intent as a discipline. Rather, mm. we sort of haphazardly jump into into the work, trying to get as much good design work done and, you know, uplift the experiences for our communities and our customers and our colleagues without any sort of robust discourse on where design is going. Mm. And through some of that, I guess, frustration or, yeah, really frustration, I, I thought I better have a chat to some people because that's what we do as designers, right? We don't just form yeah. an opinion. We start being explicit about our assumptions and then lean into into that conversation. You definitely had a lot of conversations. Like there's some people here that I would know of. I don't know. I'm going to do a quick uh, count up. Eight, uh, 16, was it 20 people? How many was it? 24 but, people? But we had 28 conversations in total. 28 conversations. And like they're... They're not people who are uh, unfamiliar with what we mean by design leadership. There, there's some serious um, organizations here in the APAC region, like Optimal Workshop, I know Kelsey, uh, and a number of others there, um, Zero and so forth. So question for you, um, what does it mean when we put the two words together, design leadership? Are they in opposition to each other or are they actually, do they work in harmony? So I think, I mean, great question. Uh, ultimately, mm. I think it's worthwhile understanding that whenever we put two things together, a third thing emerges, um, and that it's up to us to explore different variations of that relationship. So for mm. me, design has a specific meaning and leadership has a specific meaning, and together they yeah. create, if anything, a, a greater opportunity beyond what I think we've currently understood. Mm. So there's so, some, like, yeah. really when I uh, when I think about leadership, um, I think about people who are guiding the ship, who who are kind of like laying the, the foundations for the future, and kind of getting people to you know work alongside each other to for a common goal. And I'm keen to see and understand a little bit more around what you learned about leadership um, within the design sphere, and what are the the bits that are holding back. The, the practice of design being embedded into organizations? Mm. So I want to take a step back um, before I dive into leadership and maybe offer a view on what's happening for designers inside organizations and why leadership mm. is such an important thing for us to lean more deeply yeah. into. So I think one thing that I'm observing um, in a sort of consulting role is that I come into organizations and design teams are really excited about the fact of doing better design, right? Yeah. They want to upskill their capability. They want to get more hands on deck. They want to really make lives better for people. I think many designers really have this this notion or this idealism behind them, which is which is wonderful. And when they do that, the common assumption I'm seeing is that in order to get better outcomes, we have to do better designs. What I'm observing instead is that in order for design outcomes to actually show up and to be more impactful, we need to start leaning into intentionally driving change inside the organization. Because if mm. there's one thing I think that that I'm that I'm seeing is that design fundamentally or the promises of design are fundamentally different to the dominant business narratives we are encountering. 
And so if mm. we're designing in a commercial context, we're coming with all these beliefs around lived experience, human-centered ways of making decisions, of um, you know, showing up, of seeing the world, and we bump up against the commercial realities of many of those organizations. Mm. So, and then talking to leaders as part of this report, what I'm hearing is that leadership is independent of design, right? Leadership yeah. is its own practice. Leadership ultimately is about creating the conditions for, in our case, the design team to thrive. But I've talked to leaders who aren't designers and who are still very, very good at that. So when we think about the traditional trajectory of a designer moving from junior to intermediate to senior to leader, we assume that that is something, someone with subject matter expertise who is maturing in their practice. When in mm. actual fact, the person sitting in the leadership position or the functional leadership role within an organization doesn't have to be a designer because the job is fundamentally different. Yeah. So is is like you mentioned there about designers um, wanting to do better work. Okay. What are the 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 blockers enabling that? Is it is it you saying it's a leadership piece? Are you saying that um, leadership needs to become more aware of their impact on the designers? I'm saying that designers need to figure out what their innate leadership capacity is, depending on where they are. Designers. Designers. Right. So. so Walk me through that. So what does that look like from yeah. the perspective of um, leaders who are already in place and then you've got a, a swarm of designers who are figuring out that they potentially have leadership? How does this work? Yeah. So I would agree with you that someone who sits in the functional leadership role is ultimately there yeah. to create the conditions, the structures, right, to mm -hmm. provide a level of guidance and direction. But so far, we are we've assumed that is that person who is leading in every aspect of, of the, of the word. They're not just leading the function. They're leading the conversations. They're leading the meetings. They're leading the practice. You know, they're leading our career development. They're responsible for all of that. But they're also and, leading, the, they're also leading sales and marketing and, you know, operations. And it's the whole design centric versus impact centric approach to, to kind of where design sits within the organization, the complexity, I mean, the proper term of complexity as, of leadership is it's really difficult. The problems are really difficult. They're all interconnected, but um, is the problem designers not becoming leaders? Is that the problem? Or, or, I'm, I'm keen to understand. Yeah what that might look like from a leadership perspective yeah. if you had that group of designers all kind of what are they striving for are they striving to become business leaders like leaders of the business like ceos or coos or are they just are we talking about design leadership i think when we talk about design leadership uh in the context of design practice we're talking about our ability to connect our craft with our context we're talking about our ability to connect our work with the impact it's trying to create. And we're talking about intentionally and actively stepping into spaces of discomfort that ask of us to hold two truths. One, okay. right, that we are 
designing for people that is you know that lived experience and um and sort of people's feelings and their needs have a role mm. to play or should play a role in our decision making within an organization as well as working for an organization that has commercial aspirations and that will when it comes down to it will make a decision based on bottom line and profitability and efficiency and productivity there are two competing worldviews that are true at every moment in time. Hmm. And if we want to achieve impact with our practice, the leadership ask, no matter of our role within the system, within the organization, is to straddle and navigate that tension. Yeah. What someone in a functional leadership role does is doing that at a much more senior level and therefore at a greater level of complexity and a greater mm. level of risk, right? Yep. And at a greater level of exposure. Yeah. And and yeah, if I can just add an example to that, when we are leading at a functional level, we are leading into the executive, we're leading into our peers of other managers and sort of heads off. Yeah. When we're leading at a practice level as a practicing designer we're leading into other teams other silos we're leading into conversations mm. into stories into meetings always straddling that tension and we're shying away from that i think those tensions i want to understand a little bit more they tend to be in my experience and tell me you you've got more um sort of clarity on this is the the kind of the incessant need for growth and economic success okay and what tends to be a blocker from a design perspective is they want to add value to the the customers or the person who's using the service uh, their lives and sometimes that's unquantifiable from a business perspective in terms of like what is the roi in this why are we doing this so it's that's one of the key tensions between the the typical, as we, I'm doing air quotes here, folks, mm -hmm. leadership versus design leadership. And it's balancing those. It's kind of like, okay, you win this one, but I'll come for you again in another few weeks with another one. You <laughs> pick your battles. Um, you have to, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because um, it is a relationship at the end of the day. So what are the other tensions that you were seeing other than the, the commercial aspects? Mm-hmm. Well, I think a, a really massive challenge is, is how do you participate, partake, and add value to a system that at the same time you're trying to change, right? Mm. So, and that is related to the previous tension, but a separate activity. How yeah. do I... It's, yeah, 100%. And it's slightly schizophrenic, right? Like, yeah. how do I demonstrate value, as you said, in mm. my role and my capacity as a designer, when I know that my allegiances are divided and that my mm. mandate is to to remind the business that they have appointed me because they wanted me to have multiple allegiances. Yeah. Yeah, when, when, you're, when we're talking about this stuff and when I read the report, I remember the pieces where I was reflecting on, I was like, well, there's, there's two, two kind of operational pieces within the design pieces, the craft piece, as in like, you've got the conditions to create, you know, the best possible outcomes when we're designing. Um, and if you liken, or if this is akin to a chef in a kitchen, the chef is producing, you know, 
beautiful meals they're being satisfied and stuff but at the same time the knives and the plates and the, the crockery and everything that's used to cook the food is not fit for purpose that's a separate job you, you would almost look at the manager to work co-creatively with the chef to, to create a better outcome so in our worlds and i love the fact that you know schizophrenic might be the right word but I, I get what we're trying to say here in terms of like if a leadership is uh, sitting in on a meeting with a designer or design leadership and they're like, okay, we've managed to create these outcomes under poor conditions. They're like, what poor conditions? We need you to fix those. So suddenly now there's two jobs you're being graded on creating quality outcomes, you know, great dishes, continue the analogy of the chef. And two, also make sure you can fix up the the, the kitchen so it's fit for purpose. That takes us away. And the, the bit that I want to talk to you a little bit more around, it takes us away from the bit that we're being paid to do, really, and that is to create better outcomes. And as a result, if we can't put a full focus on this, the outcomes are going to be depleted. That's right. So what I want to understand a little bit more, and I really liked the way you broke down the three categories. You know, design as a behavior, design as a practice. And what was the third one? I'm going to have to do a bit of scrolling here, folks. Design as a... Function. Where? function now the bit that i wanted to talk to you a little bit more around was design as a craft um because i'm still of the the opinion that we are still craftspeople at the end of the day um what was the thinking behind that and was it a, an intentional omission so craft emerged um from an understanding um and a view of the diversity of disciplines the diversity of knowledge and the diversity of experience that feeds into the design practice today. So, yeah. you know, as someone who is a scientist, can someone who's a scientist call themselves a designer? Can someone who is an anthropologist or a doctor or a nurse or, you know, is, is that compatible? And if you mm. look across our, our industry, you'll find people from all walks of life suddenly having that designer title and I think in the report I, I distinguish between design as a behavior which is you know a, a, a trait of all living things um, mm. to design as a practice which is where these days we talk about um, the design discipline or design thinking human-centered design showing up in organizations and design as a function which is um, which I'm referring to as the the functional role of leading a team of designers within an organization mm. and the leadership element straddles the practice as well as the function and the craft the craft is what many people are attracted to when they come to design right we all started out with 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 the attraction to the possibility of creating solutions or solving problems or producing outcomes that make mm. the world a better place in some shape or form now the the massive disconnect between design practice and design uh, and functional design leadership is mm. when we are suddenly disconnected from our tools right and you hear that from every single person who's been a designer a practicing designer and then moved into a functional design leadership role where they are missing the tools and many go mm. go back because they can't yeah their identity is tied to to practicing it right yeah and so that's one thing is recognizing that design leadership in the functional sense 
has got very little to do with doing design and very much to do with creating the conditions for design to thrive. And yeah. a lot of that is difficult, is political, is banging your head against the door and waiting for it to open and still keeping keeping going, building resilience, yeah. creating momentum in that team and holding space for that team to sometimes grieve that straddle that we talked about, that tension, right? Yeah. And sometimes to harness the energy that comes from friction to propel the team forward, which so, is a very different job, yeah. Yeah. And one of the one of the problems within design, I feel, is the the label of design because lots of people have multiple meanings for what we mean by design i still get asked do i design aran sweaters and i'm like that's a, it's a type of jumper in ireland and i'm like no i'm not that kind of designer oh do you do interiors no i don't what do you do services what's a service okay well let's get the whiteboard out and i'm like kids go get the whiteboard daddy's going to talk about what he does for a living anyway um one of the pieces I want to talk to you a little bit more around is design operations. Okay, design operations and design leadership. The phrase design operations, I love. I absolutely like it's got a deep kind of satisfaction for me because it's moving laterally away from the design definition and it's very descriptive of what it is we need to do. Operations, the operational um, parts of design creating those conditions design leadership um how what i want to understand is how do these conflict are do, do they mean the same thing in your eyes because when you mm. talk about design functional um and you talk about um I, i'm trying to remember here the, the, the three give me a second don't jump in it's design behavior and design practice so when you think about those three things a lot of those encompasses design operations so they're they're considering those aspects do we still need design leadership if we've got design operations? That's a good question. Um, I would say that design op- design leadership still provides the umbrella under which all of yeah. this comes together, right? Still provides mm. the direction and most importantly, the anchor. Design fun- leadership is outward looking, I think, and design operations, it's inward looking. Yeah, and so the absolutely. two are almost the two parts you know, of the same chain link type thing. And yeah. I would say that a, a good design operations lead will be one of the biggest assets to any design leader out there today. Yeah, they work in harmony, I guess. One Ideally, is one yeah. yeah. So when you look at other disciplines, when I'm, I'm taking the perspective from a leadership perspective, if you're sitting in the middle of the organization, it could be a product leadership, it could be CEO or COO, even a CFO, and you see, um, okay, I, I'm walking over to the sales department and we've got head of sales and we've got a sales director. Um, and then we go over to the marketing, we've got a marketing director and then we might have head of marketing, we might have other types of marketing, direct marketing and so forth. And they come over to the design team and then you've got, hi, I'm the design operations head and then I'm the design leader and then I'm the UX leader and then I'm the service design leader. What does that look like in terms of when we're talking about actual business leaders, the COOs, COOs? Are we being overcomplicated about these things, the nuances around what we do? Or can organizations get by? Like, what do you say to those people who are like, okay, the designers are just kind of going around in circles here. They're not really solving business problems. So I think the fundamental challenge that we have as designers inside organizations is that we are the new kid on the block. 
right? Sales and yep. marketing and finance has been around in a commercial setting Absolutely. for a very long time. And so we we are building the plane as we're flying it, right? Yep. We don't have a set of we don't have a accreditation that we go through. You must do these five things and now you shall be a designer. Like yeah. it's not like, you know, go to university and get a marketing degree or get a you know, get a sales yeah. qualification or and so and I think the other thing that's really important for us to understand is that design, unlike many other disciplines, anchors in the human condition. So what that means is that our practice and our ability to evaluate if we're practicing well is deeply context dependent. Hmm. If we one set of design practices and principles would not be fit for purpose in a different context. Like, and I mean, the, one of the, I guess, most evident differences we have been observing in the last few years is sort of the the, the separation of human-centered design and, and co-design of participatory practices, right? Yeah. They've gone different ways, although we, we share a, a root, I guess, belief system because of the context within which we're practicing has asked much, much different things of our, of our practices, hmm. right? And so when you, when you say we've got all these different people, do we even solve business problems? Like there, for me, they're two different questions, right? We, Internally, within our team, we need we need a level of complexity because we're not just flying the plane. We're also building it. We're also figuring out yeah. where we're going. And that we may need that to build a robust practice. Yeah. Right? If we're solving business problems, is then evidenced by our ability to link our craft with our context and tell the right stories and build the right relationships. And I think that, to your first question, really is where leadership shows up. And so the, yeah. I think the key, the key things that this report has uncovered, which I found really, really insightful, is that when you look at leadership through a lens not of function but of practice or behavior, what shows up is leadership um, as a moment in time that is observable by others that any of us can step into. Mm-hmm. And when we think about leadership not as an omnipresent status, as a decision we make based on our unique abilities and preferences and skills to step into particular situations and lead there, right? And when I say lead there, what I mean by leadership in that context is the ability to see a different future, a future that is different from today, and then take steps towards towards that. Any of us has the ability to look what's in front of us and say something else could be better. And we can then take steps into that direction. And when we talk about a team leading collectively, the challenge of the quote-unquote functional design leader becomes to create a level of consistency and coherence mm. across the leadership activity within the team. But a leader mm. alone can't move across a two, three, four, five thousand people organization and expect an emergent practice to just show up and deliver value. Yeah. Like that is unbelievably exhausting and frankly inadequate to ask of a single person. It is about yeah. the, you know, the the construction and the the conduction, like a conductor, if you will, to yeah. align all of these through various mechanisms. And for each of us to take responsibility and accountability in our unique spaces and step into leadership where we can 
in alignment with others. Absolutely. And absolutely, I, I, I see that. The questions I'm, I'm asking are the questions that I've been thrown in the last you know, year or two, like around design leadership. What does it mean for, you know, COOs, CEOs, when, you know, there's multiple design leaders floating around the business and they go, who does what? Why are they here? What, what, what are they bringing to the organization? There's no question there's value in terms of what they're creating. It's more what gets used and from the leadership perspective. There's a level of curation that happens whenever the design leaders present visions to the future. And it's it's ultimately like Game of Thrones where the one who, you know, succeeds is the one who stands the longest and, you know, says the same thing repeatedly over time or is a change of leadership. So a lot of the stuff that you were, were talking about here requires designers to change. What does it look like from the perspective of leaders to kind of become more receptive to the work that design leaders as a function are um, are creating? What, what are your thoughts on that? So when you talk about leaders, you're talking about other leaders in the CEOs, business? CEOs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, heads of marketing, heads of sales. Well, what does that look like? Because that in particular, I'm coaching a couple of people in financial services at the moment they are hitting their heads against a wall in terms of trying to sell why they need to get experienced designers into the organization. But leadership just, you know, have a deaf ear. They don't want to hear these problems. They don't have the power themselves to maybe increase the budgets. They um, And it's it's a really sort of uh, complicated space to be in yeah. when, when you're in that situation. What do you say to people in those situations? Yeah, 100%. I mean, first of all, well well done for being there, for standing there in that discomfort and that tension and trying to work with it because many people don't last. And so if you're there and you're doing it anyway, um, that's that's awesome. That's uh, my it's, first it's, response. Within reason, as long as they're, they're taking care of themselves and they're able to sustain it. Yes. In my experience, a lot of designers who put themselves through immense amounts of pain to survive in toxic organizations and toxic situations. Well, not, well that's, an, I, I would say Flamer. that's then again another, uh, the, 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 the toxic the organization is, is a slight addendum, yeah, to that. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So the, but the other thing is, I guess, have we, have we truly understood how we are adding value to the people in front of us? Have we truly understood the levers that we that our practice can uncover that they understand. One thing mm. I'm observing, and you tell me what you see, is that yeah. we're very, very good at listening to customers. We are very, very terrible at listening to colleagues. We amp up the empathy dial to those people outside the organization, but many designers haven't actually sat down and done the same with their colleagues, with their seniors, with their stakeholders. So if I'm walking into an executive boardroom and all I've got is my my customer insights and why we should most definitely fund another designer, I'm not going to get anywhere. I need to walk in there equipped with a really deep understanding of what the other people in the executive or the people I'm trying to influence actually want out of this conversation. 
what they are thinking about, what they want for their teams. How can I, as a designer, enable the outcomes that they are seeking? Me pushing my own agenda is maturity 4.5. Yeah. So when I think about design evolution inside organizations, the second part to your question is, how can we meet an organization where they're at? Where are the people at in their journey of profit over people to people over profit? Because if we if we want to create a binary, that's the journey. And mm. so where's the organization at? And if I start harping on about human-centered design and the benefits, the customers, and how we make people's lives better in an organizational culture that fundamentally is evidenced by you know, every single piece of structure or artifact, anchoring and profit and, and productivity, I'm using the wrong language. I'm selling the mm. wrong stories. Yeah, I'm I'm I've got these people in my head when you're talking <clears throat> and nearly all of them would be like, Yeah, it's definitely people over profit or, or profit over people. Oh, yeah. Um nearly all all uh, scenarios in that in that outcome is uh, the businesses favor the profit. Um so what do you see in terms of where we can actually work with design or not designers, but leadership, functional leadership to support them um, to become, not even become, just just to be open to those situations? Because like I've invited leaders to workshops and training and all that. And they'll they'll come for the opening bit and then they'll drop off after 15 minutes. And that in itself just says an awful lot. They're like, yeah, okay, see you later. I'm not interested. And, you know, fair play, like in, in some senses, they're like, okay, this is this is your domain. I know if I'm here, I might um, kind of disrupt that. I want you to learn. But at the same time, there's a certain amount of um, responsibility to upskill to be able to communicate on the language that designers create. Um, it has to be a two-way street in order for anything to change. They are the gatekeepers at the end of the day. And is it a case of some people are, are going to be able to get it and others just aren't? I mean, to your earlier point, you know, yeah. if you're in a toxic organization, <clears throat> no amount out. of goodwill and effort is some environments cannot be changed. And it's not worth, yeah. you know, you, your sanity to do that. Absolutely. <clears throat> Any my coach, the, if they're in a toxic yeah. organization, I'm like, okay, just just get out. Okay, there's other just places you can go and work. Yeah. Just get out. But, because there are plenty of organizations who get it, right? And there are plenty of environments that are conducive to introducing designerly yeah. ways of thinking and working that can unlock increasing opportunities over time. Yeah, I'm. I'm with with leadership as a as a particular function, and you've got design leadership. I'm always kind of interested to hear what people have to say around what we can be doing better, what we can be doing more of to really help crystallize not even the value of design, but just be be aware of the conditions that need to need to occur. Right. Because too often it's just seen as human resources and like okay we just need to get another designer in and throw a design at the problem and it's not really it's not really how most of the people who listen to this podcast want to operate and it tends to be the blockers the main blockers if we use that analogy of the chef again a lot of the kitchens aren't fit for purpose um so what were the what were the main pieces that you saw in the report and in the research because you had like 
bloody loads of conversations. It must have taken you, it's taken you months. Like I, I can't have more than two conversations a week without feeling dizzy on this podcast. You tried <laughs> to them, and um, what what were the the kind of enlightening pieces? What were the enlightening conversations that you walked away from? And you went, well, okay, that was that was eye opening. Mm. I mean, yeah, whole conversations. That's a that's a pretty um, big reflection mode. I would say some of the some of the pieces that really stood out were, um, and that is a massive part of my learning journey, I guess, is Indigenous perspectives on design and leadership. Yeah. And much of the evolved leadership understanding I hold as a result of this report has come from um, Indigenous practitioners or those who are very literate in the Indigenous space. Yeah. Um, you know, design, after all, is a, is a Western concept that we are superimposing um, into many, many different environments, um, which in fact have had their own innovation and, and consultation processes and collaboration processes for centuries. Yeah. And so balancing that, I think, um, has been really, you know, or, that, or sort of reinvestigating where our practice comes from, how, how we talk about it and what humility in our practice looks like. I think is mm-hmm. a, is a really important milestone in the evolution and, and maturity of the design discipline. Um, I would say that some of the other things that you know, when we come across these challenges that we just spoke around, around how can we convince CFOs and CEOs and all that stuff, one of the the big insights again that came from conversation was around that notion of context literacy. How much time do we start? Do we spend? and actively invest into observing what's going on around you. Um, there's this wonderful book called Navigating, uh, sorry, Wayfinding Leadership that we can link to in your show notes, um, yeah. which comes has come out of the Indigenous space here, Shelley Spiller and, oh. and a couple of other authors. Okay. And so the, 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 the notion behind this is to understand that when we lead in spaces, the, the westernized or industrialized concept around leadership it's very much sitting around going from A to B and planning our way there. Yeah. And then when something goes wrong, we go, oh, surprise, something didn't work out the way we planned. Luckily, we have three backup plans. Yeah. The <laughs> the notion of leadership, as I understand it, based on a more Indigenous perspective, is to suggest that in our language, we live in a VUCA world, nothing is within our control. And so the the core leadership capability we must cultivate is navigation. Navigation result navigation is dependent on reading signs in the landscape. Yeah. Right? What signs does our landscape, our context offer us to make better decisions for our teams, for yeah. our discipline, for our people? Yeah. How much time as a leader can you afford? To, to pull away from the the BAU meetings and productivity and cadence of things and just sit there and watch what's going on. What are people saying? Why are they saying it? How are they saying it? What does that relate to? And I would say that that was mirrored in all of the leaders, even if they weren't, haven't had an Indigenous background, who were successful mm-hmm they were successful because they could read the landscape like it was a book and they could hear what someone was saying and knew, okay, this is what this means for the next strategy update. 
they could read the next newsletter that came in the internal comms whatever platform and gone, oh, okay, these are the three key words I have to include in my next executive presentation. They've become so attuned to what's going on around them that they were able to use it to their advantage. And when I think about my coaching practice and my training practice with designers, the thing that stumps people up is their inability to see what's in front of them. And it's because we're not cultivating our senses to tune into what's going on around it. We are so obsessed about planning and filling out business cases and getting through the double diamond at pace with key deliverables Yeah, that we don't see what what we need, what we could use to actually advance our cause if, if we so wish. So going back to the indigenous perspectives, um, mm. I like the fact that the heightened senses and ability to kind of simplify and identify our key, key aspects. What other aspects did you learn from the indigenous perspectives around design mm. came through i would say that, i mean there there are a number of people significantly better placed to talk about this than than i am yeah um, but were poor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um and i would say that that the processes by which uh in, we can drive innovation or drive uh, different outcomes are manifold and the so the indigenous i guess ways of um driving what is akin to design outcomes dr- are much more reliant on building relationships on anchoring and conversation in curating a, an environment of trust like all the stuff that we are discounting as nice to have is the yeah. stuff that is central to the way I understand it anyway, is central to um, Indigenous design practice, at least in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And I will also say that those working closely with the Indigenous space have largely given up the concept or the language around design for for many of its uh, challenges and at times recolonizing elements. Mm-hmm. And if embraced uh, different frameworks such as Hotuwaka and others um, that that center conversation people and relationships and the ironic thing is that we want to des- if we want to design for people we yeah. must center on the elements that make us human right yeah and so I think that's that's out that is humbling and that is enriching and and I'm really really grateful for being able to have had a sneak peek a tiny sneak peek into some of this. Um, and the last thing you'll find at the end of the report, I talk about tensions that, yeah. that we have an opportunity to lead into or lean into. And one of the, the tensions that was offered that I thought was beautiful was one around the idea that design started off as a production process but can become a change process. Yeah. And... It's not one or the other. It's a spectrum, right? It's depending on the context. Again, we're moving up and down the spectrum. But again, leadership moments are by and large occurring when we when we stand in spaces of tension. 
every single conversation I have had has either explicitly articulated or reflected on the fact that the moments in time where their leadership was most asked of were moments of tension and challenge. And so if we want to lead design, we can't lead design in the spaces of comfort. There is no leadership to be sought there. Absolutely. We're we're coming towards the end of of our conversation. Um, I want to ask a question. It's, It's, it might be a little bit kind of personal in some levels, but after you've created the the report, did you feel optimistic? Um, did you feel more optimistic about design's role in the future or did you feel more pessimistic? What I felt, um, what I felt was that design as a discipline carries a promise that unites us across difference. Mm. And for me, that was really energizing. That would make me really, really hopeful. Mm. The thing that is really challenging is that we are our worst enemy. And it it will take overcoming of our egos, of our hero obsession, of many of our deep held beliefs of what it means to drive change for design to sustain and evolve into a respectful and responsive practice that it can enable and hold space for others to drive change collectively. We have some really awesome building blocks as part of this discipline. We're by no means the only people. Change is not exclusive to designers. But we are holding a unique set of, of, of composites, of skills, of mindsets mm. that are, you know, that are leaning towards change, that are really suitable to this sort of work. But the question is, will we as individuals, as teams, and as a collective, Collect- as a discipline, step up to meet yeah. that challenge, to lean into our individual and collective leadership moments choose them wisely and then face the storm yeah absolutely sarah listen look thank you so much for for sitting through me kind of grilling you for the last 49 (laughs) minutes but i i really enjoyed speaking and 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 listening to the responses to my questions and stuff um i put a link to the report into the show notes if that's all right um is there a website that people can go to and download it sure it's sarahclearwater.com okay very good um and if people want to reach out to you and stay in touch what's the best way for them to do that uh, linkedin will be ideal otherwise it's sarah at sarahclearwater.com all right i'll put a link to your email as well listen up thank you so much for staying up late in new zealand uh evening time Hopefully um, you can get to bed and uh, get a full night's sleep with uh, your child sleeping through the night. There's my wish for you, Sarah, tonight. Listen, thanks for your time. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you, Jerry. It was my pleasure to talk to you. There you go, folks. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you enjoyed it and want to listen to more, why not visit thisishcd.com where you can learn more about what we're up to and also explore our courses whilst you're there. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.